listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Hey everyone, welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan, I have with me this week... Aaron Lutz and Lance Lawson. All right, yeah. So this week we are continuing on our uh, Summer at the Movies podcast series. Last week we talked about Harry Potter. Cool. Today we are talking about Soul, Disney's Soul. Our favorite movie. Our favorite movie. <laughs> or we just have young kids. We have young kids, and so it's on, and so we watch it. So yeah, if you, multiple uh, times. I, I want to say if you haven't seen it, I'll give you some a synopsis, but I'm assuming that you've seen it. That's why you're listening to this. But uh, in case it's been a few weeks since you've watched it, quick review. Anyone feel free to jump in at any point. Main character, Joe Gardner. He is a jazz pianist uh, by... Uh, by passion, but not necessarily by profession. He's a middle school teacher, and uh, he has a dream of playing jazz and on the big stage. And um, he finally gets a shot to do that. He dies tragically, or half. He's kind of half dead, I guess. Spoiler yeah. alert! Spoiler! Spoiler yeah. alert! And Spoiler. you know what I thought as watching it, or while I watched it, it wasn't so tragic. The guy falls down a hole, and you're like. Wait, was that it? Yeah. Yeah. He kept avoiding all these like major ones yeah. and then just falls down the hole. Yeah. Not so tragic. Yeah, no. Well, you know, it's a kid's movie, so it was like one of those things where it's like, he's got to die, but we, we can't make it too yeah. bad. Right. And like, you know, we can't like, you know, uh, traumatize a generation of kids where they're going to be afraid of something, even though I think like the manhole Bambi. thing is going to be pretty terrifying for yeah. most kids now. So, <laughs> But, you know, it, it made it seem like falling down a manhole and dying is, is kind of a fun adventure. You know? Right. So... <laughs> Anyway, so uh, he, ends, he ends up going through all kinds of th- things here and then discovers some things about himself, and so we'll get into some of those things today. The other so. main character, 22. 22. Man, Tina Fey's great. I love Tina Fey. She's great. She did a great job in that role, too. Yep. So they go on an adventure together. So um, what, did, what did you guys think about when you were watching it? I'll start like where I was before I watched it, because I saw all the previews, trailers, my kids were really excited about it, you know, the Disney Plus thing. Uh, and I was a little nervous about it because it, it's a Disney movie that's going to talk about afterlife and what life after death is. And so uh, before my kids watched it, I was like, all right, listen, like this isn't a true story, right? Like we believe the Bible is true. What the Bible says about life after death is true. This is just a make-believe story. So we kind of prefaced it for our kids. Uh, I, but I was pleasantly surprised after watching it how much I enjoyed the movie. Not that it has a Christian worldview about the afterlife, uh, but just the purpose and meaning behind it and uh and it was an enjoyable movie for us and the kids yeah i mean i didn't know anything about it before my kids had already seen it and so i told them i'm like hey i need to watch that movie with you guys <laughs> you're and not an expert on soul i'm not an ex- a podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the harry so, potter people are like passionate about harry potter yes. that recorded that one we just have young kids we have young so i mean my kids had already seen it like i said yeah and so they all sat on the couch with me and watched it again uh no it was a good movie yeah I, uh, again, you know, we talked about it afterwards, the the view of life before mm-hmm. and life after, um, obviously it doesn't fit with what we believe, but the, the, the arc of the story and some of the meaning and purpose behind that, I thought was, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So yeah, it, it seemed like the, I had probably the same impression as you, Aaron, thinking, oh, this is going to be all about afterlife stuff and mm-hmm. it's going to be real weird, almost like maybe new agey yeah. type of stuff when it comes to like the soul and like, I don't know what's, especially even in the early on when, you know, they're going down the conveyor belt and they're sort of like being, mm-hmm. you know, engulfed into the, 
the eternal great light. Yeah, the great beyond light. And they're just like almost it had this like zapping sound with like you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's like this bug that's going into the thing and it's like, huh, is that what this is really gonna be about? And then and then it just moved on. And it really wasn't about that. It really was about purpose. Yeah. Um had some elements about community. Um, so before we get into like the main point of the actual movie, let's talk about some of that end of life, like heaven, uh, eternity perspective stuff on there. What, what do you think soul got right about heaven in the afterlife? The conveyor belt. <laughs> Is that in the Bible? <laughs> that big light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that when you were talking about that, like that, that, uh, what I, what I was concerned about is the soul is sacred. And so for the whole movie to be called soul, I was just nervous about that. Uh, soul is sacred. Life after death is sacred. It's a topic that we care a lot about as followers of Jesus. Uh, but I think the thing they got right is that like death is this unavoidable reality. Like we're going to die. And I think a lot of times movies portray like for young kids, like, man, like, just live your best life. Like this is the only thing that matters. And they're kind of making a statement that not only is death unavoidable, but unavoidable, but your life now really matters and it matters for eternity. Now their eternity and before and after is different than what the Christian worldview is. But that concept that death is unavoidable, life is precious. It's, it's sacred. I thought was really significant. I I was intrigued by the the way Joe was on the conveyor belt, and he, you know, he's panicked because mm-hmm. he realizes something has gone wrong. Yet he runs through this crowd of people, and everyone else is just kind of standing there, staring at the great light. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, everyone's experience post death, as portrayed in the movie, was interesting to me. And um, I think probably I've pr- I processed through this through. I've told you guys. Uh, I recently was at a funeral for someone I've known most of my life, and just thinking about life after death and what that's all about and how uh, like our hope is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I know this movie wasn't about Jesus, but I don't know. I, I found myself just contemplating more than trying to decide what they got right or wrong. But like, what is it that we want? What is it that we think will happen when we die? And it's like, we get to savor Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just those are the things going through my head watching that. Yeah. One of the things I, I read about afterwards, it mentioned how, um, like the the Jerry character or characters, how there's like yeah. all these like, you know, I, I guess the I don't even know what they what they call themselves these like beings that were manifested in these really two dimensional drawing type of things that were helping the uh, the souls be prepared in the great go, before the great before and yeah. all this stuff and just talking about how like that's a very like uh, it's a surprising. Uh, element within a Disney movie. You know, most Disney movies are very much about like the life here and now does not really acknowledge that there is a creator or there's a higher being or like a, you know, some, uh, a God that knows all things. And, um, and even though this really wasn't like a very explicit uh, reference to God, but there's still, it's interesting to think about how in their portrayal of the great before, there's all these souls that are being prepared to go be embodied and yet there is still there's still some sort of all-knowing powerful um you know presence in in that realm that is uh i don't know somehow in control and calling the shots and doing that and so granted that was uh not a whole lot of really biblical descriptions right. of god in in the movie about about Jerry <laughs> but uh, yeah i don't think they were attempting to make Jerry god right no. um but there is this transcendence 
of, you know, being that is creating and giving purpose to life that's outside of us. And so that's one of the things I think I enjoyed about it. It wasn't your typical Disney movie where like purpose is found like within, you got to self-discover all these things about you and like you're basically a good person and it's all just inside. You have to find that. Um, but that, that purpose is given from outside. I thought that was interesting, interesting take for Disney. Yeah. So what do you think soul got wrong about some of the afterlife and heaven stuff, mm-hmm. especially as you were talking to your kids and you were trying to help them think through some of these things or the correctives that you saw. I mean, there's a lot, but yeah. name, name a few. It started for me with the the great before. Like, you know, that's not how all of this works. Yeah. At least the Bible says nothing of this. We obviously have no experience or memory of anything like that. Right. So... um I just wanted to talk about how, with my kids, how how God views life. Life is sacred mm-hmm. in the womb, like that sort of thing. Um, and then definitely the afterlife stuff. Yeah. I was thinking afterlife and thinking about Philippians 1, where like, uh, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So uh, Joe freaking out about going into the afterlife and avoiding that, like for a follower of Jesus, we look forward like to die as gain because I'm going to be with Christ. And the afterlife isn't like streets of gold and I get to eat steak and pop queso is going to be in heaven. Like all these things that we like think to be in heaven is to be face to face with our creator, with our savior. And so, uh, to die is a is a gain. It's a it's a thing we look forward to with joy, and it's about being in the presence of God. And so there's not that hopeful expectation in this movie that like, man, this is this is better than life because it's with Christ. That's obviously absent from soul. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's especially for for Joe to have some kind of taste of what the afterlife is like and decide he wants to go back and pursue more. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not something you see. Um, in the Bible, if anything, you see Paul being on earth and yeah. still saying, like, I'd rather, you know, we, we have a greater inheritance that's waiting for us. It's interesting. What you do see in the Bible is uh, Lazarus and the rich man story, right? Where the rich man, not in heaven, he's separated from God, but has this desire to go back because he's like, man, I, I missed it. Like, I didn't I didn't understand. So I want to go back and tell other people so that they don't get to where I'm at. And so if, I guess if you're without Jesus, that there is this regret and so uh, that's not the, the story that Soul was telling, but that is a biblical story of kind of life after death and, and regret and desire to go back. But yeah, I mean, the other thing is just how Soul depicts that every every soul is all moving towards right. the same end. Same place. You know, it's yeah. all. Uh, I don't know if they, they don't use the word heaven, but it's you know, it's the great beyond. It's the big light they all go into. There is no, there is no hell. Um, yep. So, um, yeah. All right. So one of the main main points of their of the whole film was really about purpose yeah. and Joe trying to discover his purpose and tying his purpose very closely to his passion and what he was doing for his job and how he was spending his life i mean there was a couple of really good quotes that he has in there you know he talked about how it's my reason for living and uh, at one point where he was reflecting on his his life, and he says, if I died today, my life would have amounted to nothing. I don't remember when he said that exactly. That may have been whenever he was talking to his mom or... Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, I think it's a significant thing because I think people struggle with things like that. Um, they look at their life and what they do and how they spend their time, and uh, so much of our identity 
and our purpose gets tied into what we do. And yeah. that's some, some of the stuff that we talk about a lot around here is where is our identity found? So uh, what, did, what did Soul teach about purpose that you thought was helpful for our culture to hear? I, I mean, that just that statement alone is, is like, it's a good magnifying glass on the human experience because I think, like you said, so many people have what who they are and what their life will amount to measured against something. You know, what is that thing? What what does it mean for your life to your life to amount to something? Mm. Uh, I think it is a is the next question or a bigger question. So, um, it's it's interesting because. Uh, you know, we, I think we've probably all listened to this podcast recently. There's a pastor who talked about there. There was a point in his life where he he wanted to do gr- great things for God, mm. and he came to this place where he realized that was the wrong motivation. He wanted to do things for a great God, yeah. and so his, just his perspective on on his purpose and on what it meant to have a purposeful life changed. And so, yeah, I guess that 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 would be what I'd ask is. What does it mean to have your life amount to something? What's the definition of that? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So let's talk about that. Yeah, what, what does it mean to have your life amount to something? What is our a purpose? Our purpose according to God? The yeah, scriptures talk a lot about like abiding in Christ, like just being in Christ, not accomplishing something, not performing something. I mean, like performance is anti-gospel because the gospel is grace is has done what you cannot do, right? It's this undeserved, unmerited favor. And so when we try and perform in order to please a holy God, uh, it's it's adding something to that. And so uh, I think purpose has a lot more to do with just abiding, being in Christ, making our home in Christ than performing or a certain position or productivity or whatever. Yeah, I go back to like the Westminster Catechism, mm-hmm. you know, the first question of what is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. You know, it's this abiding in God, it's worshiping him forever. Um, there's a part of me that, you know, a lot of times we talk about purpose and we, the purpose that we have is to be on mission. And I think that there's a there's an element of that, but I always get back to, uh, you know, John Piper in his mission book, Let the Nations Be Glad, the mm-hmm. first chapter, he talks about how like, uh, worship is the thing that we'll do for eternity. We'll do that yeah. forever. Missions stops whenever we are in eternity mm-hmm. because you know God has made Himself fully. There's known. no evangelism. There's in no eternity. evangelism in eternity. Yeah. And so, um, if our if our chief end, if our main purpose throughout all eternity is missions, and that's really incorrect. It's it's about worship. And so, mm-hmm. worship is something we do in this life. It's something we'll do for eternity. And so just focusing on worshiping God and enjoying Him forever, abiding in, in Christ. Yeah. Lance, you get something different over there? Any other purposes? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, uh, when, I've, when I've thought about this in the past, something that has pushed against that in my own mind, uh, against uh, kind of the way our culture works and what it means here and now in this part of the world to live with purpose, is uh, I, a few years ago I read the book Robinson Crusoe, and you know he's marooned on an island, mm. shipwrecked, and... He, he like laments that he never listened to his father. And his father tried to teach him from this young age that a life of contentment was was what led to ultimate happiness and like mm. this fulfillment and you could be still before God and all that. And he's like, he pushed and pushed and tried to be successful and accomplish all these things and ended up traveling around the world and then shipwrecked on an island. And, and he's like, if only I listened to my father. Mm. He was really right. Contentment 
will lead to those things. And so, don't you think that's something that comes with age, though? Sure. It's like all all of our mentors, all the guys that are a couple years ahead of us or several years ahead of us, talk about that. But in our 30s, I, I know I still struggle with that. Like, man, I want to produce. I want to perform. There's something innate in us to drive for that. Uh, but if we would just listen to our fathers, if yeah. we listen to these wise or older guys that are like, look, to be content and to abide in Christ is the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that some of it is just the journey through that. I know. You have to wade like through you, it, right? You have to like uh, – focus on performance to realize that performance isn't isn't going to satisfy. Know, isn't gonna satisfy. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to think about the human experience that we have mm-hmm. to learn the hard way sometimes. But yeah. Another thing real quick, when you talk about purpose, like the idea, they talk about the movie that just a passion doesn't equal purpose. Like you can be passionate about something, but that doesn't mean that's your ultimate purpose in life. And so reading about this, I found a quote from the director of the film. So it's the same director from Inside Out. I didn't realize that, which Inside Out I thought was super insightful and enjoyable as an adult yeah. watching that with my kids too. But he had this great success. He performed really well creating this movie. And then he said, like, I realized that as wonderful as those projects are, there's more to living than a singular passion. Sometimes the insignificant things are what life is really all about. Uh, so even he was unsatisfied with this multi-million dollar successful film, uh, but just that one singular passion isn't what makes life worth living. Uh, I thought that was interesting that that's kind of the motivator for you know him with Joe Gardner and his character too. Uh, so talking about purpose, that passion doesn't always equal purpose. Yeah. Well, how do you think that pushes back against how our culture thinks about vocation and finding significance and identity and purpose? I mean, where do you think people try to find those things now? Oh, you know? I mean, we all know this. You go to some event, whether it's a kid's event or you're at a company party or whatever, and you're meeting people and their spouses for the first time, and the question is like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your name? What do you do? That's how we define ourselves when yep. we meet people. Yep. And because that's where we find an identity. Yep. Yeah, and Lance, you mentioned just comparing ourselves to people, yeah. you know, and now with social media, we get a window into people's lives a lot more than we used to, even though that window is is fake. I mean, it's yeah. really what we project out there, which mm-hmm. anything just, it heightens the comparison. And you now we're, we're chasing after a false, you know, caricature of somebody's life. I mean, it's their, their curated self that they're put, putting out there. Um, and so, you know, they're trying to get a job to be able to have the lifestyle that they see somebody on Facebook having, right. which is just, you know, it's going to disappoint. Talking about just vocation and the jobs that you have and finding identity in that. I think there's a struggle for people that aren't super passionate about what they do. And they think that that, therefore that means that their job is purposeless, Yeah, you know? And so if I'm not, if this isn't my, my life's work to be, an engineer or a doctor or a teacher or whatever, uh, that that means they're not living the life that God would call them to. And I don't think that's always true. I think that sometimes our jobs allow us to do the things that we're really passionate about. Like there are people that work nine to five jobs that isn't their ultimate passion, but it allows them to make disciples in other areas of life, or it allows them to do ministry and have the flexibility to do that, or it allows them to be generous and support not only the church, but missions or whatever the thing they are passionate about. And so identity isn't found in our vocation, but our vocation doesn't always have to encompass all of our passions either. It allows us to pursue our passions in other areas. Yeah. Have there been some kind of period in your life where you felt that tension? When I was a lifeguard in high school, I'm not super <laughs> yeah. passionate about that. Yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> I mean, we're we're in a unique spot where, like, giving our life to do vocational ministry, it is it is an overlap significantly in the things that I'm passionate about. But I would say, even in my role at Clear Creek, there are parts of my job that that are not my most passionate places, but it allows me to pursue the areas that I'm passionate about. Right? Uh, that, that's true for any job. That's true for us in, in ministry too. Yeah, and again, passion doesn't equal purpose. Yeah. So it, it is challenging when you when you have a job like we do, leading a church, and that there are aspects of that that are part of our purpose as humans to bring glory to God and enjoy His presence forever. But but not all of it is. So there's not like it's not like somehow what we do is is necessarily better at fulfilling a purpose sure. than what someone else may be doing. Sure. Yeah. I remember when I right at right out of college, my first job, it was a it was an office job, business job. I had to like wear a suit and a tie. Oh, and I had to go yeah, I had to go I think I had one for interviews. I just wore the same thing every day. <laughs> and uh, like Dwight Schrute? Yeah. I didn't have well the thing is I it also didn't pay that great and so I didn't even have enough money to go buy new suits. So I just wore the same suit. And uh anyway. And I just remember the uh, the shock of going from college and you're having fun and you're around people, you have free time to all of a sudden now I'm I'm sitting in, in rush hour traffic and sitting in an office, like in a cubicle, you know, on a computer doing emails all day and getting off when the, the sun's going driving home in the dark mm-hmm. and thought, This is this is terrible. And uh, that was really I mean, I look back over that period and it was a it was a good learning experience because that all that a lot of that stuff got shaken out in me. I mean, it was like I'm not doing anything significant because I'm just I'm just working in this office all day. And that was a period of my life where God just taught me a lot about what does it mean to actually what is significance and what is identity and what is purpose and um you know, if, if I if if I'm in my head thinking this is not significant and so it's a waste of my time, well, what about the the billions of people all around the world who are doing jobs that they might think, well, where, how is this significant? What am I saying about that? And so, um, yeah, it was a challenging period. I look back on that. I, I wish I would have responded better or differently at that time. And it probably wasn't until later on where I look back on that and I think, man, I I really didn't get it. I didn't get what God was teaching me until much later on. So. It was it was a good lesson for me. All right, one of my favorite parts of the uh, the movie is when Joe goes back and he plays in the show with Dorothea Williams, and he does awesome. And the the you know the crowd is cheering, and his mom and her friends are all proud. And they come out of the club, and they're they're waiting for the taxis. And she's and Dorothea Williams says, "Man, we play a hundred shows, and one of them is a killer." And she says, "You don't get many like tonight." And he says, I've been waiting on this day my entire life. I thought I'd feel different. Mm-hmm. And he feels let down because he finally got to like realize his dream, but he realizes that the dream is, is some, somewhat of a letdown. So can you relate to that feeling at all? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely can feel that. I think that we think that there's a certain precipice. If I reach this place, then I'm going to experience fullness of joy. And you build it up so much in your mind, and then it's a letdown because it's not ultimately what God has said is going to be the fullness of joy. So if abiding in Christ is our fullness of joy, then me performing and doing something really significant uh, isn't going to satisfy that. So uh, we got away last week um, 
and spent some time with some guys from Acts 29. One of the guys talked about just these threats to joy, that performance is often a threat to joy. That I think, if I think that I produce, then the Father will be pleased with me, uh, that will steal your joy because you're never going to produce enough to feel the fullness of joy or uh, the threat of a position. Like, man, I think if I could get to this part in my job or if I could reach this position in my, at work, then I'll have joy. And he, he said this line, uh, joy doesn't come from the loftiness of a position, but from the lowliness of a posture. Again, the way of Jesus is just so much different. Like I probably have had more joy when I've served people humbly than when I've done something that I thought was going to be really great. Like not being a pianist in a jazz performance, but I think about times where we've, you know, preach a great sermon. I thought, man, this is going to be the best sermon ever. And I leave the stage. I'm like, I just don't feel the same amount of joy as I thought I would. Uh, but when I do a hospital visit and no one knows, and I get to serve a family, like there's a greater joy in that sometimes than performing some significant on stage lights on way. Yeah. Can you relate to that? Or, or what, what do you think is going on in Joe's mind and his heart when he feels that letdown? Yeah. Again, he's, he's got, the meaning of his life wrapped up in that. If somehow mm-hmm. he can accomplish that, if somehow he can get to that point, his life will have purpose. And I think that that's directly connected to what he said earlier. Like, if I died today without having done that, then my life would have amounted to nothing. So he's got an ideal in his mind about what it means to amount to something. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally gets there, he realizes that actually doesn't fulfill. It actually doesn't amount to as much as I thought that it would. And I, I would... I would bet most adults have some experience where it's like, I thought that would mean more. Mm. I thought that would make me more complete or more whole or more satisfied than it actually did. And and that's, I mean, it's it's kind of silly to to comp- to think about it. But it's like that. That's why people stand up and say like, you have a God shaped void in your life. Mm. There is something in you that only your creator can satisfy. Uh, but we, we try to put all kinds of other stuff in there. We, we try to accomplish, we try to build ourselves up in all these ways, and what we really need more than anything is to be known by the Father yeah. and loved by Him and for Him to say, you're mine, and that's enough. Yeah. And when we, when we try to make anything else fill that, it's always going to leave us empty mm. or wanting more. Yeah, I think we see that in big ways and small ways. You think about, you know, just, you, you know, you going on some vacation that you've built up in your mind, this is going to be great, and you come back feeling mm-hmm. more tired or it was more stressful or yeah. like, you know, the kids were, you know, more difficult than you thought or the food wasn't this way. And, you know, yeah. even just, you know, having a meal that you think, oh, this is going to be this great meal. And, you know, <laughs> it's it's never as good in your mind as you think it's going to be. And, and then, and obviously big things too, whether it's like, oh, you know, I had this dream job and I finally got it and then turns out you know the grass isn't greener on on the other side yeah. and all that uh, one of the interesting parts or the interesting uh, realms within the the uh, I guess the metaphysical space there not just the the great before the great beyond what was the uh, I don't know what do they call it that era of the lost souls that was like yeah. that dark yeah. spot you know yeah. that was interesting that was interesting so they're going around on the ship and there there's all these lost souls that are all around there and uh, they are the souls of living people who are still on earth but yet their souls have been taken out of their body like they've been squashed by life and mm-hmm. and whatever reason for whatever reason that is and uh, what, what was the guy's name the guy, the sign spinner guy like when Moon, 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 wind. moon, wind, yeah. yeah, 
you know, he talked about how it's because they've been crushed by the anxieties and the obsession of, mm. of their passion. So it's not even just like, oh man, life it was really hard and they lost their soul. It's like, no, they were so obsessed with their passion that they just had to pursue it. And, you know, they, they felt the, um, I don't know, just the lostness of it. So they're, they're lost souls. So how do you feel like that relates to people nowadays? I mean, I thought another, uh, an example of that was when they're on the, Joe's on the subway and he looks mm. around and everybody's just staring at their phones. Mm. I was like, that, that was a small glimpse of that. Maybe maybe not the same as people who have just given their lives over to a, a thing, but the it's like- The hedge fund manager guy. Yeah, the hedge fund yeah. manager guy who's like just locked into his computer. <laughs> what, what, was he, what was he muttering to himself? Like, gotta make the trade. Or... Yeah, gotta make the trade, gotta make the trade. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I I found myself thinking of people who- Maybe it's not some passion, but something happened in their life that that kind of derailed them. And so mm-hmm. I just think there's so many people just stuck. And it was kind of a good illustration of, of people stuck. It made me want to be like Moonwind and just like go, go snap them out of it. Like, <laughs> come on, man, wake up. Yeah. I like his quote, the Moonwind character's quote, that the zone is enjoyable, but when that joy becomes an obsession, one does... Uh, one does become disconnected from life. Like when joy becomes an obsession, it just disconnects you. And so I think we see that even with like parenting, right? Like you can give yourself to a passion, but it'll disconnect you from the things that really matter the most. And so you give yourself to a job or to a different passion. Uh, I think about guys that are like obsessed with hunting, right? Like that passion removes them for weekends and weeks at a time uh, from their families. And not that that's a evil passion when it's held in, in the right place. But, um, those kind of, even just hobbies can remove us and disconnect us from what really matters. Yeah, man. I mean, we just all spent a whole season of little league with our kids and how many, how many dads start out coaching with great intentions to spend time with their kids and look up eight years down the road and they're out on a field yelling at their sons, Mm. uh, because it's all about the, you know, it's transformed into something that. I, I bet for almost every one of those guys, if not everyone, it started with such hope mm. and turned into now this obsession that is fueled by all the wrong things. Yeah. And that was another another group of people I thought it was like some of these dads that are just out there. And you want to like shake them and be like, dude, you are missing a chance. Got to make the play. Got to yeah, make, make the play. Yeah. <laughs> but like you're, you're missing a chance to love your kid in, in a different way here. Now, this is all exciting and it's fun to win, yes, but that's not the greatest good. Yeah. So how do you keep that right in your heart? So, I mean, you, you talked about like we we have this void in our, in our souls and our hearts that we try to fill with all these things and we and we keep listing out like good things, right? Yeah. Like to, uh, you know, you can go on vacation and that can be a good thing. You can enjoy meals and that can be a good thing. And, you know, you can, you can go hunting and like, uh, you know, you coach your kids – uh, baseball, you can have a job that you work hard on and you accomplish things. So how do you keep those things in the right place in your heart so they don't become this idol that you're worshiping and you're in the zone so much that now you become this lost soul because you're so overly obsessed with it? So how do you, how do you keep that balance between enjoying these good things from God, helping them to direct your hearts to glorify Him and enjoy Him, but not letting those things take the place of God? I think it happens outside of ourselves. I I think we are blind to our own passions becoming our obsessions. And so I think about life and community. Like 
uh, think about small group as a, as a healthy rhythm where I can call, like people can call me out when my passions have become obsessions or I can call other guys out. And there's that once a week check on our lives that we're just doing life in community. I think that's a significant way. I think having just a gospel perspective and that like my faith in Jesus is the most important thing and everything else is reordered by that. And so if, if something is taking more of my time or more of my passion or more of my uh, resources, I keep that in check through just having a gospel perspective uh, and gospel worldview. Those are a couple things. Yeah, what came to my mind was the question, is, where, is, where is worship being directed? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all, all of those great things cause you to worship something, whether you realize you're worshiping it or not. But like often we're worshiping ourselves or, uh, you know, whatever the thing is. But if... To help keep stuff in check in my own heart, sometimes I ask the question, what am I, what am I worshiping? And if, if these good things are helping me see the goodness of God and worship Him mm-hmm. and, and, and then look back on them as gifts from Him, great, they're, they're probably in a healthy place. But if these things become what I worship, or if in some way they help me worship me instead of worship Him, that's, that's where they become dangerous. So Aaron, you mentioned just the power of community, of people being around you to help you see your own brokenness and your own sin. One, one of the scenes I thought was, uh, yeah. which is good to watch, was uh, when he's in, he's uh, Joe in 22. We really haven't talked about 22 much in this, but uh, 22. Tina Fey, man, she's great. Tina Fey, she's great. So they're, you know, he has to go to the barber shop and he's mm-hmm. in there and... Um, you know, these barber shops are just a place where there's community and people around and they're talking all the time. And uh, I thought it was just so interesting how he's, he leaves there and he learns all this new stuff about Des, the, yeah. the barber. And um, in 22, who's in the body of Joe at the time, again, this is terrible theology <laughs> stuff, but anyway, <laughs> um, says like, hey, why didn't I ever ask you? Or why didn't I know any about this, about your life? Why, or why haven't you ever talked about your life? And his response was, well, you never asked. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and he's like, but today, you know, I'm glad that you did today. And then Joe kind of has this realization that it's like, man, he's been so self-absorbed in his own passion that whenever he's getting his haircut, all he does is talk about himself and talk about his own, um, you know, jazz passion and never really got to know Des uh, for who he is. Never really got to, never properly entered into that community to even allow someone to speak into his life and never allowed, you know, him to, to get to know somebody else. So yeah. um, I don't know. You, you, I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts on the community that um, that you get to have that you feel like, you know, that you long for other people to have in being able to shape who you are and how you walk with Jesus and, and all that. Yeah, I think there's a temptation um, when it comes to following Jesus to do that on your own, but we never see that in Scripture, right? And so I think we benefit so much more uh, when we get to do that with other people. Uh, when When my friends make me a better follower of Jesus by the way that they follow Jesus, or I get to influence other people. Um, yeah, I think community is super significant when it comes to following Christ. Yeah, for me, that highlighted some of the truth of the way our world works, um, and then I think a lot of people don't have an opportunity for community. Mm-hmm. Or they don't know how to, how to form it, how to shape it, where to get it, and so they get it in little pockets or segments of their life. I mean, just, just the way my life works, if I didn't have church, I'd 
I'd probably have a little bit of community at the ball fields mm-hmm. uh, a couple times a year when my when my kids play uh, little league in the spring and the fall. And then I don't know where else I'd get it. If it maybe see the same people working out every day or uh, you know the same group of people when you go to a certain place. But I think a ton of people are missing out outside of the church, missing out on an opportunity of real community. And so uh, what's beautiful about the way the church is, is it allows people from all different walks of life who are united in Christ to then not just have something they're, they're united in that they share a passion about, but then they get to learn about all the ways that they're different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look, I'm guessing anybody here in small group, if you consider the people in your group, these these could be people you wouldn't be friends with mm-hmm. in any other circle. And you get to learn things about their life and share your life, and uh, they influence you and you influence them. And so um, the, the barbershop, when when he realizes he's never really invested in that, it's just been a transactional relationship, I think that's a picture of, of culture. It's mm-hmm. also a picture of the church for some people. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're listening and that's a picture of church for you, uh, there's more. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There, there are a whole group of people that, that would love to share their lives with you and get to know you and be a, a place of community for you. Yeah, that is interesting to think about that. So he would go in there and get his hair cut. And since barber shops uh, are you know known as like a community center in some communities, there are relationships there, but yet he's never really experienced them because he came there and he was just thinking about his own his own self and he's just you know looking at himself and then he leaves there and he probably feels like, yeah, I mean like that's my barber shop and there's my barber and I know mm-hmm. people there, but it's like no, he doesn't really know people there and people really don't know him, yeah. and um, he's just drifting through without that kind of community. But it's also a place that like you you're paying money to get a service and so you can just be a consumer there, right? So so what are some places like that in your life? Like I think about like for me at the gym. Like when I first started working out at the fitness center, I was like, no, I'm paying my money. I'm putting my earbuds in. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get my thing done and I'm going to go home. But then I start seeing that people have created a certain community there and like that's their people, you know? And so then I realized, man, this is an opportunity for me to engage in relationships, not just be a, a paying customer at a place. So are there other places like that for you that's not the church? Like what are other places that sometimes you just view as transactional when it really is an opportunity for community? You mentioned yeah. like the ball field. Like yeah. that could be one of those, right? Like oh, I'm absolutely. here for my kid. Yeah. I'm going to watch him play. But there's an opportunity for real relationships there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But but when but then when the season ends, yeah. I don't necessarily if if you haven't developed a reason to be around these people outside of baseball then then that ends until yeah. the next season starts back up. And we don't play select ball or anything. I know there are some people that they're just play, doing that year round. Our family doesn't do that. So yeah. I don't know, I was thinking like places I visit regularly, Craft 96. Yeah. Where, you know, the staff walk in and, you know, they like, hey, Lance, how's it going? And you see some of the same people over mm-hmm. and over. But again, in a sense, it's transactional. Yep. For sure. Yep. I think there are barbershops in our life that if we start viewing them with missional eyes, they could be places where we invest in community there too, yeah. not just in the church. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, another aspect of the community that I thought was interesting to see was how, you know, 22 is this soul that has not yet found her, I guess Spark. it's her, her, I guess, can it, did, did the soul have genders then? I don't really know. <laughs> it's Tina Fey. It's Tina Fey. So we'll call, yeah. we'll call the soul her. Um, was looking for a spark and um, 
had had all these mentors that were, you know, I mean, who, they Abraham were Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> all, all these, you know, these famous figures yeah. and stuff that had come back to be a mentor soul to her and they help her find that. Her. That yeah, was funny. To find her spark. And then, um, you know, part of that process of being a soul who doesn't have a body means they also can't experience things. They don't have mm-hmm. the senses. So they, they, you know, couldn't eat pizza and taste it, couldn't smell it, couldn't yeah. touch um and so it was almost like this like head knowledge, but it wasn't until she comes to earth and is in Joe's body and she's going through this with with Joe. Joe's now in the cat and she's now experiencing life and tasting pizza and she hears the music from the guy in the subway uh, platform and um, you know, sees the seed, you know, coming down out of it and holds it and then like has this like realization that like knowledge of the world and knowledge of like the uh the purpose that we could have and the joy that we can experience doesn't isn't a head knowledge it's mm-hmm. experiential and it's experienced together with you know with Joe and there's mm-hmm. a there's a community part to that so i i thought that was i thought that was interesting as, yeah. you know just to be able to think about like the extra layer of like what is purpose and ex- enjoying these things in life and allowing that to worship God and again I don't think you know the, the she's worshiping God in that one, but I think that as a follower of Jesus, like that's what we see our purpose is. Yeah. So you know we hear the music on the subway, and like that makes our soul you know worship God all the more because because of the beauty that uh, we know that ultimately comes from God and directs our hearts back to Him. But yeah, looking back at the movie, I think that's one of my favorite parts is there's joy in the mundane parts of life, right? So most Disney movies, it's like this princess or superhero that's so not real life for us. Uh, but Joe is just a regular dude, you know, and just the the mundane things of life, feeling the wind blow, eating pizza, seeing, uh, hearing music on the subway, like that brought 22 joy. And I think we could learn a lot from that, that life is precious, precious and there is joy in the mundane moments of our life, not just these mountaintop Instagram worthy moments of our life too. Yeah. And I guess that's what like, you know, a lot of the point of the movie was just to bless that, like to say like yeah. the mundane life is a beautiful life. And yeah. he's thinking about like, that, you know, I love the end part where he's thinking about like the beauty of life. And he's like imagining as a kid, uh, you know, riding a bike through the street and feeling the wind and his mm-hmm. dad playing music and all those things. And it's like, yeah, like it was just this beautiful picture of of the uh, the beauty of the mundane. And as followers of Jesus, like we have a, a different perspective that I feel like increases our joy of God all the more because yeah. we can put those in the right place versus just, you know, for what they are. But Yeah, I mean, I, for the the past couple of years since I read Robinson Crusoe and the whole idea of contentment just... I want to read this book now. You should read it, man. Yeah, it'll be it, next it, on my list. you've never read Robinson Crusoe... It's, I, have, I, know I it's haven't, like no. It, oh, it's it wasn't so on the high school list then, I guess. It's I don't so know. good. It's on the PBS has, Top 100. It has some oh, really... Sure it is. I don't know. It has some really uh, cool theological moments in it cool. where, like, the guy is stranded reading his Bible. It's super good. Anyway, plug for that old book. Yeah. But uh, the contentment has been been circling around in my mind for a while, I guess, because, because of that and other things. But I think that that, when you find some contentment, and I'm a little older than you guys, live a little more life, <laughs> you know. A couple of years. Yeah, we're, you know. we're still the young guns. So yeah. yeah. We're still yeah. the young guns. You're, you're but, still with us. But uh, <laughs> I, I find my myself able to to see joy in smaller moments mm. when when contentment when uh, when it's not all about these big moments or this major purpose but instead it's in the everyday then then little things become worshipful 
little things become joyful. Little little things become purposeful uh, because they all fit with kind of what we've been talking about this this last time. This whole podcast is that uh, like all of those things contribute to a, a life of purpose, bringing God glory and enjoying Him forever. Mm. Because you see His hand in all those little things. It's a cool journey to be on. That's good. You know, one aspect of the movie we haven't talked about yet is at the end, uh, Joe like sacrifices himself so that 22 can have life, right? There's, there's a little bit of a Christ uh, figure thing in that, that like gives up himself so that we could have life. Uh, and that's not the point that they were making. But as a follower of Jesus, you see that truth there uh, and see that, that life was worth it. Uh, it was worth him not being able to experience what he wanted and so that 22 could experience life to the fullest. I thought yeah. that was kind of a cool part. And too. then in the end, he gets his life back yeah. too. So in yeah. a sense, he's resurrected. When yeah. he gives his life, he's then given true life, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I do think another thing that we haven't really touched on at all is just how uh, some of this is addressing the cynicism of our culture, mm -hmm. that like our culture, especially, it's like the younger you go, especially now that uh, like Gen Z is now the younger generation in their, you know, in their 18, Can people 20s. bash on them now instead of millennials? Oh, is they already are. Because okay, they're good. bashing on millennials now. I don't know if you know this. Gen Z's bashing on millennials? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh we're, apparently, the we're still the worst. Apparently they're on TikTok <laughs> making fun of everything that, that millennials are about. All right. Our I'm haircuts and skinny jeans, and skinny side, jeans parts. side parts, all that stuff, man. Wow, I'm missing all no, this. No, yeah, so. no, they're, they're, they're bringing it hard. They're, they're not making fun war. of my haircut. No one's, going to war. no one's making fun of my haircut. But now I feel like, you know, like the boomers are starting to be like, yeah, millennials, you know what it's like. And we're like teaming up on the Gen Zs. Telling them <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. Anyway, Gen Z, but like Gen Z, cynicism. One, well, yeah, one of the things that's, uh, one of the characteristics of Gen Z is just the cynicism of, of the world. I mean, there's so much distrust and there's mm -hmm. so much like, what's the point of life? And that's, it's almost as if 22 is, is that Gen Z like cynical character mm. in the great before of being like, what's the point of life? Why would I go live there? In fact, she even asked that question at one point, is all this living really worth dying for? Mm. And um, you know, if, if you're just gonna go through life and at the end you die, what's the point? And that's, I mean, in, in some ways that's what the question or the, the whole movie is, is asking that or answering that question is, if that's all it's about, then what's the point? And the movie is trying to say, well, there is a point. There is there is beauty in the world. And so uh, just to address the the cynicism that is in a, the younger generation, but not even just the younger generation, it's in within all of culture, yeah. um, especially from a secular culture that doesn't have uh, an eternal perspective that yeah. just says, well, golly, yeah, if I don't believe in God, then uh, then what is the point of this? Why work hard my whole life? Why even have a family? Why you know? Why bring kids into this world? Why why go living another day further? And um, you know, I, I think that's that's the the good message of the the movie. But obviously, like the Christian story has a, a way better message overall to say. Yeah, it's great to enjoy these things in life and like those small joys do make life worth it but there's even a greater joy that all comes with you know all those things can be enjoyed within the context of and that's the, the joy of, of knowing Christ and glorifying him forever and, um, yeah yeah any other thoughts on soul before we move on I was pleasantly surprised pleasantly surprised Pleas alright pleasantly surprised yeah, I right. like that movie yeah me too alright well hey next week we're gonna be talking about the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. And so make sure you don't miss that one. Not the three of us. We're not talking about it, but John will be joined by a few other people. 
So if you listen to the Clear Creek Resources podcast, make sure you check that one out. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure that you do so that way you don't miss any of our future episodes, especially during this summer at the movies. Um, But guys, thanks for joining me this week. Absolutely. It was great. All right. We'll see you next time.